Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Blunstown, Shipley, and Mariana. So good to have all of you. And I'm glad to be with you today uh, because of the ability of technology. Last Sunday, I was able to bring you the first talk in our series, The Problem of Me, but I was in Costa Rica and uh, had a great time with a group of about 10 other guys, and most of them are my small group. Um, young group of leaders, amazing men. I get emotional every time I talk about these guys. Because um, I'm telling you, I believe in the next generation and this group is helping me understand at a whole nother level. We have some of the best leaders in their 20s and early 30s that you could ever imagine in our church. And I'm just telling you, amazing group of guys. Um, that was worth a trip for me. Um, just getting to spend time um, learning to know them, watch them operate as leaders under real difficult situations at times. And man, it was just incredible. And uh, the other cool thing about it was, is I didn't have internet access or cell service for five days. So, um, so by the way, if I replied to you during that time, that was my assistant, Natalie. She did a great job, didn't she? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I did get a list of everything I replied to. So anyhow, just so you know. <laughs> um, well, anyhow, it was, it was a great week. And uh, I'm so excited to be back with you and um, just be able to share the second part of the series entitled The Problem of Me. Um, and here's the reason that we're having this conversation. This conversation is really what I believe will help you imagine. It's a conversation I think will help you imagine. I, I even believe it will help you experience a life without the frustration of constantly feeling like that you're failing to be who God made you to be or who you believe that God made you to be. Because the truth is, I think every one of us, we all know the frustration of failing to be who we want to be, don't we? Every one of us. It's like we, we want to be this and we want to be that and we, we feel like God has designed us to be that, but we don't get there. I mean, think about it. Maybe recently or sometime in the past, you had a friend or maybe your spouse or a parent or maybe one of your children, they looked at you and they asked you something like this. What's wrong with you? And you just kind of get offended when they ask that, but you know that there's something wrong, but you don't even know what's wrong. And what's worse is you don't know what to do to make what's wrong right. In fact, some of you, you spent money trying to solve you. Others of you, you've read books and you've listened to podcasts trying to solve you. You've gone to a counselor to try to solve you. Some of you even started coming to church to try to solve you. But despite all the money and all the time and all the effort, there's just some things about you that you haven't been able to solve, right? And not only is it frustrating to you, but I bet it's cost you some things as well, hasn't it? Not being able to solve the problem of you. It's likely cost you time. It's likely cost you money and sleepless nights. For some of you, it's cost you relationships. For some of you, it's cost you friendships. Maybe for some of you, it's even cost you your own sense of self-worth and self-esteem. And it's not like you don't wanna solve the problem with you. But as we reminded you last week, it's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what is causing the problem. Don't, don't miss that. It is impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what is causing the problem. So last week, we discovered what your problem and what my problem is. And if you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch or listen to that on our website or app because we, the Apostle Paul really helped us unpack that. 
in a powerful way from the passage we looked at last week. But last week, just kind of a quick overview, we, we understood that the problem that we all have is not just us. We're, we're not the only ones who can't solve the problem of me. Every person throughout all of history has had exactly the same problem. Even the Apostle Paul, we learned that he had the same problem. He even wrote about it. He, he gets what we're dealing with. And, and before you think, man, there is no way that this guy 2,000 years ago understands me. I want you to listen to what he wrote. And if see, it doesn't sound a little bit familiar to what you think oftentimes. Here, here's how he says his problem is. He says, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then he goes on. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. We were introduced to this phrase last week. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, which would be all of us, right? It's why you're here. It's why maybe you're online. He's like, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So what's wrong with us? What's the problem with me? Well, the Apostle Paul, he would, if you asked him and said, hey, you know, what, what do you think my problem is? Why do I keep doing the same thing that I always don't want to do, the very thing I don't want to do, I keep doing? The Apostle Paul would look back at you or look back at me and he'd say, because there is something bigger in you at work. And that is that sinful nature that we got introduced to last week that he talked about. He, he says, you can't fix you because there is something in you, that sinful nature that was not supposed to be there from the beginning. It's an alien. It's a foreign thing that was not, you were not created to have in you. So you have this sin nature in you and there's nothing good in or about that sin nature. And whenever that sin nature gets hold of you, you can't do the good that you want to do because it then begins to have power over you. In fact, what the apostle Paul goes on to say is that there's no human that is strong enough to tame it on their own. There's no human discipline enough to control it on their own for a long period of time. It will control you and it will dominate you if self-help, if books, podcasts, all those kind of things are your only solution. He says the real problem with you is in you and it's this thing we call sin. Now, last week I told you that you think of sin as a verb, you think of sin as something you do every now and then, and most likely that's somewhat true. But the Apostle Paul in this whole passage, Romans chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, he thinks of sin as a noun. He says there is a thing, this thing called sin, a sin nature in all of us that is controlling us. It has power over us. It's why we can't do the very things that we want to do. It's why you can't solve the problem of you or fix the problem of you. It's why you can't live up to the standard that even you want to live up for yourself. See, this sin nature that is in you, that wasn't supposed to be there in you, it's this powerful thing, it is more powerful than you, and it ends up sabotaging you. See, that's what makes you and that's what makes me an ungodly sinner. And we learned last week that we're ungodly sinners not because we're these horrible sinners. We're ungodly sinners because God is perfect 
and we're not. So therefore, we're unlike God, which makes us ungodly. God is perfect, we're not. So that makes us ungodly. Matter of fact, last week, we ended with the Apostle Paul saying this in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. He goes, I'm so wretched. Well, why do you say he's wretched? Not, not because you drive 5, 10, 15, maybe some of you occasionally like me. I had someone tell me this morning, listen, this is incredible. Can you believe this? They say, you drive like a bat out of hell. They saw me drive into church this morning. I mean, can you believe that somebody would say that to me before I'm supposed to get up and preach? <laughs> they could at least set an angel out of heaven. You know what I mean? Something like that. What a wretch I am. Not, not because I drive 5, 10, 15. You know, I bet that was, the, I bet they were in the car. I got to find out who their car is. I got to get off this little rabbit trail here. But I bet their car was the one that was holding me up. I, I bet it was. <laughs> Anyhow, so the apostle Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Not, not because we drive over the speed limit 5, 10, 15 miles an hour. Not wretched because you eat that other piece of cake that you can't resist. You know, you take the second or the third piece. No, it's not something small that has the Apostle Paul feeling wretched. It was a very big thing. And it's the same big thing that all of us struggle with. The Apostle Paul says, I am wretched and you're wretched because there are things that you do that you don't want to do that hurt other people. There are things that you do that you don't want to do that rebel against the God who loves you. There are things that you do that are big issues. And no matter how hard you try to stop doing them, you keep doing them. And then he asks a question. But it's not the question that we normally ask when we're trying to solve the problem of me. We wonder, what will rescue me? What can I do? What self-help book can I read? What worldview can I adopt? What podcast can I listen to? What can I do to rescue myself? But the Apostle Paul has come to a conclusion that there is, don't miss this, there is no what that can rescue us. So he asked a different question. Look back at the rest of this verse. He says, what, can wretched, what a wretched man I am. Who, don't miss that, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Literally, he goes, I am such a sinner, I can't fix me, and there is no what out there that can fix me. There's no book, there's no podcast, there's no counselor, there's not all of those things. They can't fix me in and of themselves. So he asks this question, who will rescue me? Don't miss the last part, from this body that is subject to death. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, I want you to remember, last week we learned that we are born with a sin nature. That means that we are sinners, not because we committed our first, second, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or tenth, or a hundredth, or thousandth sin. No, you and I are sinners because we were born with a sin nature. We were born sinners, therefore we sin. In fact, one of my favorite ways to illustrate this is with this diagram of the, what we call Adam's line. And what basically Adam's line says, there was Adam. And remember, Adam was born into the world with a perfect relationship with God and everything because there was no sin in the world. And then Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, the sin nature, it was passed down to each next generation all the way to you, all the way to me. 
But notice where Adam's line is headed. It's headed to death. And when we talk about the word death here, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. This is physical death, which 100% of us will experience. But this is also spiritual death. This is separation from God relationally. It's separation from other people relationally because wherever there is sin, death always follows. And it can be the death of a relationship. It can be the death of a dream. Sin always kills things. So we are in Adam's line. And because we are in Adam's line, what we do is we inherit the sin nature from Adam and the result of that is sin. It is why God, when he sent his son into this world to be a sinless sacrifice, remember what he did? He pulled man out of the equation and Mary conceived without man because the sin nature is passed down through Women, do not nudge your husband when I say this. The sin nature is passed down through the man. So every time your children act out, you might just think, oh, they're acting just like their dad who passed the sin nature down. Until you as women realize, no, I'm as sinful as he is because I am a child of what? Adam. So, so back to the Apostle Paul's question. Who will rescue me from the penalty and the power of sin? Don't, don't miss this. In asking this question, who will rescue me, he introduces us to the solution. Amen. Don't miss that. Amen. So the solution is not a what. The solution for why I can't do what I want to do and what I know I should do is a who. And then he tells us, what he has personally experienced in a person, in that who, that has benefited his life. He tells us about the who that has freed him from his sin nature. Notice verse 25. He says, thanks be to God. And the whole attitude, his whole demeanor changes here. He goes from what a wretched man I am to this of just joy. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the apostle Paul says, hey, the solution to solving me and solving you, it is Jesus. And some of you are saying, yeah, I've heard that before, but how does that work? I'm going to tell you. Because only Jesus can free you from the penalty of sin. He did that on the cross and the power of sin. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about how to experience that. So how in the world is Jesus, his death and his resurrection, the solution to my problem? That I can't do what I want to do and I don't do what I wish I could be able to do. Well, I'm glad you're kind of sitting here thinking about that. Here's how the Apostle Paul described this to followers of Jesus in Rome in the first century. Here's what he said. For we know that our old self, everybody at all of our churches say these two words with me when I get there this next time. For we know that our old self, or another way of saying old self is our old nature, which is our sin nature that we're born with from Adam. Make sure you don't miss this. If I have an old nature, an old sin nature, that means... I can also have a what? New nature. See, here's the thing. When you trust Jesus and you receive his forgiveness, God gives you a new nature and a new identity. In fact, the, the writers of the New Testament, they often describe it as being in Christ. In other words, when we trust in Jesus, we're giving his nature, he imputes or he places into our spiritual account his righteousness through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's when, why when God looks at you, even though after becoming 
becoming a Christ follower, you still sin. He sees you as righteous before him because you are in Christ and Jesus has placed his righteousness into your spiritual account. And so that new nature then, it gives us the ability to live like God always intended for us to live. So positionally, I'm in Christ. Practically, I'm trying to get like I am living as Christ would have me to live. So you have this old nature, your sin nature, and then you have this new nature, your like God nature. So the Apostle Paul says, we know, don't miss that. He says, for we know. That our old self, what was crucified with him. And who is him? That's Jesus. So what does this mean? Our old self was crucified with him or Jesus. It means that when you trust in Jesus and receive his forgiveness, you receive his nature and his identity. You become one with him. Which means what happened to Jesus happened to you through Jesus. And you may sit there and say, well, that's real confusing because I wasn't there and I have never been crucified. Exactly. You don't have to be because Jesus substituted himself and he took care of what you couldn't take care of. And some of you are sitting, okay, I'm getting confused even more. What did Jesus take care of? We'll look back to verse six. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, don't miss this next part, so that the body ruled by sin. What does that phrase, the body ruled by sin mean? It means your body and my body. We understand what it feels like to have our body ruled or controlled by sin. He said, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. He says, that was God's plan, that you don't have to be controlled or ruled by sin anymore. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So he's saying, listen, you had a sin nature that was more powerful than you. That's why your body was ruled by sin or controlled by sin. That's why you couldn't stop doing all the things that you want to stop doing. It's why you couldn't keep doing all the things that you started doing that were going to be good for you and beneficial for you. See, that sin nature in you, which was never intended to be there until Adam's, because it wasn't, it wasn't in man when God created him, and then Adam's sin, so the sin nature then entered man, and it's been passed down to all of us. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, but when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he freed us from the penalty, and most of us understand that, that he paid the penalty on the cross for us, but he also freed us from the power of the sin nature. Someone greater than our sin nature, he showed up, that was Jesus, and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid the penalty for our sin, and he broke the power of sin over us. How did he break the power of sin over us? Look back at verse 7. Notice what he says. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Think about this. You can't tempt a dead person. Think about this. Once you die, you're never going to be tempted to overeat again. Once you die, you're never going to be tempted to drink too much again. Once you die, you're never going to be tempted to spout out in anger and try to get revenge or have malice in your heart or unforgiveness again. You, you can't tempt a dead person. 
So the Apostle Paul is saying is when you trusted in Jesus, everything about Jesus' death was applied to you and it does apply to you. So don't miss this. The point of verse 6 and verse 7 that we just read is this. Everything Jesus accomplished on the cross has been or can be applied to you. Let me explain this or what this means by this incredible illustration that we call Christ's line. Everything Jesus accomplished on the cross has been or can be applied to you. So here's the thing. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior, here's what happens. When you do your part, when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are transferred out of Adam's line into Christ's line. Notice, your part is to believe in Jesus as your Savior. And then God does his part. He transfers you into Christ's line. This was Adam's line. It's the line of condemnation and death. And if you came into one of our buildings today and you came in with guilt, shame, and condemnation, that is because you're living your life from the view of Adam's line. In Christ's line, there is no condemnation. See, before you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you are in Adam. So what's true of Adam is true of you, condemnation, guilt, shame. But after you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you are in Christ. And so what is true of Christ becomes true of you. This means, don't miss this, this means that you have a new past. The cross is your past. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, when God looks at you, he looks at the cross. He doesn't look at what you did in your past. So you have a new past. You also have a new present. You're no longer in Adam's line and you have a new future. Your future is eternal life and that eternal life means a quality of life. You have a new family. You have a new identity, a child of God and therefore you have a new nature because the spirit of God dwells in you. But more significantly, I think is this, is that sin no longer has power or authority over you because we have been transferred into Christ's line. We don't have to live another day like we are slaves to sin, controlled by that old nature that just causes us to do things we don't even want to do. And we know they're not good for us. See, because we have been transferred from Adam's line to Christ's line, we are free from that temper, that jealousy, that pride, that unforgiveness, that lust, that greed that controls us. What's true of Jesus is true of you because you are identified with him. You are positionally, don't miss this, you are positionally in Christ. Now, here's why most people think that all Christians are hypocrites is this, because the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you are in Christ's lines. Positionally, you are righteous before God. Practically, we all have a long way to go, right? And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But here's what he's saying. He's saying you're part, you've got to think differently. You're part of God's family. But there's more. Notice verse 10. Here's what he says. The death he died, referring to Jesus' death, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now this phrase, once for all, don't miss this. It means it happened once and it's for all people. Every people you lock eyes with, Jesus died for. Jesus values every person that much. So if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, it means that you don't value them as much as God values them, which means that's something that God wants to work on in your heart and free you from that. But he's saying it doesn't ever have to happen again. Now you might be thinking, well, this is a little bit confusing. What do you mean? So you're telling me that when I begin a relationship with Jesus, I become his child, 
which means I take on his nature. So the things that are true of Jesus are now true for me. Yes, that is exactly what we're saying. When you trust in Christ, his death applies to you and your old nature. Our old sinful nature died with Jesus on the cross. Sin is no longer your master. And some of you are sitting there going, so why do I still sin? Why do people who call themselves Christ followers still sin? Here's why. We still sin because we have spent so much of our life, don't miss this, living under the control of our old sin nature, and it's hard to break those habits. Sin no longer controls you unless you say yes to that sin nature that used to be your master. Now, let me just help you understand this illustration that happens to us spiritually from a physical thing. This is a perfect illustration, but I think it will help. This illustration is a little bit like an international adoption. I have several friends. In fact, one of my good friends, Brian and Tammy Williams, um, they have adopted internationally. And a lot of us know people who have. In fact, we've had people here in our church that have adopted internationally. And it is a fantastic thing because here's what you have. You have this baby or you have this child living in an orphanage in another country. And, and they're under several layers of authority. There's the government authority. There's the providence or the region authority. There's a specific institution that they're in authority. And then the people who work in the orphanage. And they're under all that authority. And every single day of that child's life, it is dictated by all the rules and the laws of all these authorities. They tell these kids when to get up. They tell them when to go to sleep. They tell them when to eat. They tell them when to play. They tell them when to go to school. They tell them where they're going to live. They tell them when they're going to move to another orphanage, when they can come and when they can go. These authorities call all the shots in this child's life. And then with the stroke of a pen, well, really, let me say it this way, with a lot of money and a lot of time and several strokes of the pen, but we're going to simplify this, right? With the stroke of a pen, a legal transition or transaction takes place that that child may not even fully understand to be aware of that something has happened. In a moment, that child goes from being an orphan to a family member. That child goes from no wealth to rich by international standards. That child goes from no family to a loving family. That child goes from having no identity to a new identity. That child goes from having no name to now having a family name. And here's what Brian has helped me understand. The older that child is, the longer it takes for them to get used to this new identity, this new way of life, this new family, this new home, this new love. See, it can take a long time for them to change their habits and their way of thinking and stop living based upon who they were and start living based upon who they are now. It can take a long time for them to wake up to the reality of, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not an orphan anymore. Everything is different now. But here's the thing you have to understand. At the moment when that final paper is signed, everything changed for this child. They are no longer under the authority of the government or the providence or the region or the orphanage workers anymore. Now that child is under the authority of their new family that loves them. They don't have to listen to what the old authorities say anymore. 
So whether you believe what we're saying this morning or not, the apostle Paul says, listen, when you put your trust in Jesus and you accept his forgiveness, the same thing that happens to that internationally adopted child, it happens to you. God gives you a new identity. He gives you a new name. He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new family and he gives you a new authority. See, you don't have to live under that old sin nature anymore. Your old sin nature, it may try to tempt you and draw you back and and tell you what to do, but he's saying it has no authority over you unless you give it authority. Now that you are in Christ with this new nature, God's nature, it may take you some time to begin to realize, oh, this is who I really am and let go of your former way of understanding life and, and that old authority. He says, but you're forgiven, you are free. And some of you are going, wow, how how do I let go of that? Well, the good news is the apostle Paul, he answers that question in verse, starting in verse 11. Notice this, this is the application. He says, in the same way, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Don't, Don't miss this. He said, in the same way that Christ died to sin once and for all, he says, count yourselves dead to sin. He says, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, you are now in Christ. And just like sin was not Jesus' master, It's not our master because we are positionally in Christ. Sin is not your master. And then he punctuates this all for us in verse 14. Notice he says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law. You're not under condemnation, guilt, shame, all of those things anymore, but you are under grace. And that's what the cross represents. And that's why the cross is so powerful. He says, sin is not your master anymore. Jesus has freed you from the penalty and the power of sin. So the challenge for all of us is to learn how to live free of our old master, the sin nature. How do you keep... Or how do you live so that you're not keep doing what you don't want to do and not doing what you want to do? How do you do that? Here's the thing. God put his spirit in you. He put his nature in you so that you can begin to choose. Listen, sin can call out from that old place. It can tempt you. It can stir up emotions in you. But your sin nature can't force you to do anything anymore. You can choose to listen to and live under the authority of God or you can choose to listen to your old sin nature. You are dead to sin and alive with Jesus and now you are in Jesus' line. And you may be thinking, that's great, that's interesting, but what does that mean for me tomorrow? Well, here's what it means practically. It means that you have the freedom to choose how you live. So to help us begin to own this, I wanna start by renewing your mind or helping you renew your mind as Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, that sin is not your master by creating a a new neural pathway. Here's how he says you you need to do this. Every day this week, you're just gonna be reminding yourself that sin is no longer your master. Every day say to yourself over and over, especially when you feel tempted from this old sin nature that is still out there roaming around in this world and those old habits are still there kind of welling up inside of you when you feel tempted or, or emotionally stirred up, just want you to say this, Sin is not my master. In fact, let's practice this together. 
I want, to, I want you to hear yourself speaking this truth before you face the challenges of Monday, before you start facing those old habits that you've always given into because they, you thought they were your master. So all together, all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, let's outdo Marianne, okay? Um, let's hear you louder than everybody else. Right here, let's all say it together. Everybody, all of our churches, here we go. Sin is not my master. Now, that was good, but I want you to speak it like you really believe the Apostle Paul. We're all gonna say this together again at all of our churches. Everybody ready? Here we go. Sin is not my master. See, you need to tell yourself for the rest of this day, you need to tell yourself this for the rest of this week, for the rest of your life. You need to look at it and say, sin is not my master. Every time you feel yourself being tempted, every time you find, you find yourself being drawn back to those old habits, listen, you need to remind yourself, sin is not my master. We're gonna unpack this more next week. But starting here, understanding and deciding this truth, hey, sin is not my master. And here's what I want you to understand. Just like it can take time for an adopted child to wake up to the reality that everything is different, it can take you as a follower of Jesus Christ time to recognize and wake up to the reality that you were taken out of Adam's line and you were transferred to Christ's line. You now have a new name. You now have a new identity. You now have a new family. You now have a new destiny. You have a new nature. But maybe more significantly, as I said, sin has lost its power and authority over you. You don't have to live under guilt and condemnation anymore. You don't have to live under shame. And because you didn't realize you had a choice, maybe you've been saying yes to sin since you become a Christ follower. But you didn't want to say yes. And now that you know you don't have to say it anymore, what do you do? Here's the thing. You got to understand Sin is not my master. I don't have to say yes anymore. Why, you might say? Because with the stroke of a pen on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. I have paid the debt in full and I have removed the authority of sin over your life. And because you and I are in Christ and not in Adam's line anymore, sin is not my master. So every day I get to choose to embrace my new identity that I am positionally in Christ. Practically, I got a long way to go to get to living that out, right? But when I listen to that old sin nature and I give in and practically I'm living here while positionally I'm here in Christ, whenever I give in to that old destructive life pattern, start thinking, behaving, those old bad attitudes, I just admit it. I admit I blew it. I repent, I ask for forgiveness from God, the people that I hurt. And then I start trusting Jesus again because it's my choice. Sin is not my master. I'm now living under God's amazing grace. Can you imagine a life like that? Can you imagine this afternoon when sin starts tempting you down that road again? If you, if you viewed that decision from your new identity of being in Christ, not your old sin nature. Can you imagine tomorrow when you listen to that sin nature and you wonder why you gave into that old sin nature if you felt free to run back to your heavenly father because you knew that grace is waiting for you, not condemnation? Listen, that's a life that Jesus invites you to experience in him. A life of experiencing grace and empowerment 
not shame, condemnation, and guilt. And we'll pick up there next week and tell you how to experience that at a whole nother level. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this amazing truth that the Apostle Paul shared with us about his life that helps us to learn so much about our lives. God, I just pray that this week we'll begin to declare the truth whenever sin tempts, whenever sin draws, that sin is not my master. And God, if there's anyone with us today and they have lived under the shame and the guilt and the condemnation, they didn't realize their identity in you, but they've received you as their savior, but they just haven't had victory. I pray that today they'll find new levels of understanding. There's hope for their life. There's new levels of confidence, of understanding what it means to be in Christ. And they can be victorious over sin. I pray you help them to keep coming back in the next few weeks as we unpack how do we experience that at a whole new level. God, if there's anyone with us today who's never received you as their personal Lord and Savior because they didn't want to receive you and be a hypocrite. They didn't think they could get it right. I pray that today will be the day when they understand Hey, when I receive Jesus as my Savior, He totally forgives me for all my sin in my past, in my present, and in my future, because I'm not going to get it right. But His grace and His Spirit will help me to begin to get it right as I discover who I am in Christ. And God, I just pray that you help us all to have a new zeal to live out our identity in Christ, that our practice, while it may be not up to our position, we'll say, God, I know positionally I am in Christ and I have the righteousness of Christ. I want to live that out. God, may that be the desire of our heart from this day forward. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you want to hear more about this conversation in even greater depth. Uh, we talk about Adam's line and Christ's line in, in step two of Engage. Engage is a con series of conversations we have every Sunday at 12 o'clock. We provide childcare and lunch. That starts off this Sunday, the first conversation, but next Sunday, we'll take this conversation to a whole new level. But don't miss next week as we finish up, or in part three of this series as we talk about how you have victory as a follower of Jesus Christ. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.